From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Who says YouTube ain't cultured? Create art. Your kids do. No words. Just heart emojis. Here's what I made earlier. Hey, welcome back. My guest for today, Britt Morin, has always been ahead of the curve when it comes to evolutions in technology and the internet. She started her career in the early 2000s as a full-time employee at Apple, basically fulfilling the ultimate Silicon Valley dream from the get-go. She's since worked on tons of projects that have shaped the internet as we know it, things like iTunes, Google Maps, and more. After taking some time away from Silicon Valley to explore her other passion, DIY, she later launched Britain Co., It's a media company that helps women tap into their creativity using DIY content, video tutorials, and classes. I spoke to Britt about the early stages of her career in Silicon Valley, gender bias in tech, and Britt and Co.'s mission to inspire women and girls to feel confident in their creations. Britt starts off telling me about her background and how she felt compelled to jump into Silicon Valley as a newly graduated 20-something after just two years of college. When I was a teenager, you know, as I was getting online, and and this is coming off of a period of me actually like tinkering around with things at home when my parents were working, I would, I loved making stuff, I loved being creative, and then the internet hit, and I then I loved the internet and took computer science classes, learned to code, and desperately wanted to get to Silicon Valley as quickly as possible. So, so how did you like? I mean, that's that was like a. Yeah. I would think that was sort of like a. A, a dream that not a lot of people in like San Antonio and Austin yeah, had at, the, at that time? Yeah, especially or? like young women, I yeah. think. Um, it was, yeah, it was just around, you know, 99, 2000. Okay. And dot com bust was about to happen. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I, I was starting to see these trends happen of like Amazon.com, you oh. know, and um, what that could become. And, and the iPod was becoming a big deal. And right. the idea that music could go from device to device was really interesting to me. And so, yeah, I chose to go to UT Austin because I could get out of school and uh, almost two years early. Oh. And I, um, I did that. And I moved out to Silicon Valley and I actually ended up working for Apple and then Google straight away. Wow. I mean, that's like the now looking back, that's like the, I mean, that like sounds like a dream, right? It's like you, you were like less. You're all my friends that I was crazy. You graduated um, early. They were like, and you went "What to work are you doing? Apple. Why aren't you like staying here partying? Like this is the college life, best uh-huh. years of our lives." And in my perspective, I was in debt, like literally spending twenty to thirty grand a year of my my, my parents could afford to send me through college. So I was taking out loans. Um, I wasn't able to get a full time job, you know, paying me real money. And this whole thing was happening in Silicon Valley that I was missing out on. And and I really um, wanted to take part in that. And I always knew I wanted to start a company, too. I actually started a couple companies in college um, that that were hilarious. I don't even want to talk about them because they're so we- – actually, one of them was the precursor to Kickstarter, I'm just going to say. <laughs> the name was pre- pretty terrible. It's called Fund Hole. <laughs> like you would put the funds. Right. Um, again, you know, I was just obsessed with the idea that, you know, all of these things are about to happen in tech, and I need to yeah. be part of it. So, right what, what? So, your first job was at Apple. Yeah, I what worked at iTunes when it was just music. Wow. Um, so, literally programming in the iTunes homepage, uh-huh. picking out singles of the week, um, which in retrospect, like, is hilarious. It's you know, it was like ten people sitting around a table, like yeah. voting who should get it, and and the, that artist then like their week was made, their career was made if right. they got the single of the week. 
Um, these and, days, it's like a computer that uses. Yeah, now it's an algorithm, right? right? Yeah. It used to be humans and paper right. and pencils. Um, and then Google, I actually started out working on Google Maps when MapQuest was still the one, number one mapping provider in the country. And so how um, did you get? How did you get to start there? Um, I I just applied to there, and um, I ended up in the product group. Um, I was working in product marketing for a bit. Um, ended up doing some product management work, and um, worked on maps, and then search, and then YouTube. And at YouTube, I was asked to launch a new product for Google called Google TV. And so this was a product where we would essentially be taking long form video content, similar to like Apple TV, and putting it within an Android. Um, operating system, leveraging YouTube and Chrome um, mm-hmm. and other types of um, Google properties. And uh, it was dr- dramatically surprising to me how these television networks work. You know, all these people we tried to meet with to give us their content basically told us no um, or told us, I'm sorry, I can't. I was locked, I'm locked up in these contracts or I literally don't have engineers. Right. I don't even understand what this is. Like no way video content on the internet is ever going to happen right. in, in long form. But meanwhile on YouTube, you know, all of these YouTubers were making millions of dollars serving millions of people making videos for virtually no cost in their bedrooms. Right. And I saw that the delta between those two worlds and I was like, wow, something big in media is about to happen and and I want to be part of that. So tell, tell me before we go get to there, tell me a little bit about working on maps because mm-hmm. that was like one of the, at least that I can, that was one of the first things that I can remember where suddenly like the amazingness of the web on your computer all of a sudden was like on your phone and was so useful. And it was, especially Google Maps was X multiplication times, whatever you want, more useful on your phone than anything else out there. Anything else on your phone. You can imagine Maps and not on your phone now. And it's so funny. It's almost like the product of Google that I think has made one of the biggest impacts on the world but gets the least amount of cred. So thank you for asking about it. And I, like, former Google Maps self is really proud of it still. I mean, we – I was working on maps when there wasn't even Google Maps for mobile as the team. You know, we were launching driving directions, and that Uh was, like, an innovation. We launched Street View, and that was an innovation. And then I remember the meeting I sat in where the engineer who created – Wi-Fi triangulation, you know, the little blue dot about where you were showed up on your phone and in the Google Maps app. And the room was just like in awe that that is a, that could happen. You yeah. know, like we are able to now track where everybody is in real time, even when they're not on a Wi-Fi signal. And that, I think, I mean, was when one it's, of the breakthrough moments. When the arrow is pointing the direction that I'm walking, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still in awe, honestly. Like when I turn I 80 degrees and it like the well, arrow Well, now comes. It's, they're like street viewing all the national parks yeah. and things. And so it's like I, I, live, uh, I live by a big national park and um, I'm always on trails. And so I'm just like I, I always get lost on the trails, which sometimes is good and sometimes really sucks. But it's right. like, oh, well, now a street view on my maps, I can know where I'm going whenever I'm on a trail, which is just crazy to me that everything, including our national parks, are getting mapped. Yeah. Did you <laughs> did you get some sense of like, I mean, because street view on some level was also a function of like machines starting to play a bigger role in some of these like technologies. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, it always starts with humans, though, first, yeah. right? So it just takes – it's just a lead-up time, right? Um, I'm very much pro-automated, um, you know, vehicles and automated tasks that humans shouldn't waste their time doing. And actually, like, I think it's compelling that the one industry that can't be automated is creativity. Mm-hmm. And that kind of aligns 
to what we've really started building with Britain Co. and one of the big opportunities I saw when I was starting the company. Yeah, so it sounds like you had some insight that Google TV wasn't really going to work because all these executives were living in like the Stone Age, but <laughs> YouTube was working. You saw all these people, independent people, young people making their own content finding audiences, mm -hmm. is that sort of a Yeah, a there are a couple of, thing? there are a few trends at play, right? So yes, uh, traditional media, I would have bet would flounder um, for at least a good five to 10 years while they figured it out and got rid of some legacy revenue lines and print and you know all those things. Um, social media um, would continue to grow exponentially. And then, you know, I didn't, I, so I knew media was an opportunity, but I was, I didn't know what I wanted to root it around. Like why start a company? What's the mission? You know, I am not one of those people who just starts a company to like make right. a lot of money. I really wanted to make an impact. And so I actually took six months off after I left Google just to figure out, like, what it, what is it that I want to do every day when I don't have my day scheduled? And everyone, you know, always has that motto, like, live the life you love by never working a day in your life, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, what though. do I love? Yeah. And, um, I, you know, at that point in time, I had really been, like, a little burnt out on tech, um, you know, in the sense that, like, I just couldn't stand to stare at a screen all day long, and I really want to do stuff with my hands. And it was kind of a just a timing thing. This place called Tech Shop launched in San Francisco. It's like a gym for making things, so you pay $99 a month, and you can come in any time, and there's wood saws, and there's laser cutters, and there's sewing machines, and, and had there's you, 3D like, printers. Had you been using these type of things before? No, but no. I I was getting married and uh -huh. I decided to like go all in on like making my wedding my my big like do it yourself moment and designing it all and I was like, "Well, I can use all these machines." And like it took me literally 30 minutes to learn how to use, you know, a laser cutter right. and a 3D printer because literally it's downloading a file sending it to print like you would a piece of paper, but out it pops on a piece of wood um, or a piece of plastic. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like something in, unlocks in your brain and you can now make anything you want to. Mm. And it was just fascinating to me because I was I was making home decor, I was making jewelry, I was making stuff for my wedding, and everyone sitting around me was a man, and they were all making like 3D printed Star Wars figurines and like <laughs> weird like action figures and and this so this is like because it's sort of a time. This is like the time of like maker culture and like yeah, make magazines make starting magazine, to right. Yeah. Kickstarter was just mm -hmm. launching Indiegogo like. So it's sort of like I can fabricate anything I want to and sell it on the internet direct to consumer and make a business out of it. And I remember like the Dodo case, that iPad case yeah, thing. Yeah. It was like this dude sitting next to me at the laser cutter. Like that became like a multi-million dollar business. still get you know, those emails. That one, that one <laughs> so Dodo case I bought. I own many Dodo cases. Um, <laughs> Anyways, and, and but Pinterest launched like the, literally the month after, and all my girlfriends flocked to Pinterest. Um, it was really a millennial female audience to start with, and they were all penning creative stuff, so recipes, DIY projects, um, home decor, and these were not women that I thought of, you know, in the crafty sense, in the mm. creative sense, and nor did they think of themselves in that way. They would all tell me like, oh, like that's awesome. I wish I could figure out how to do that one day. And and so I sort of started to realize like, oh my gosh, these women don't believe they're creative people. And when did that change? Because when we were like five-year-old girls and you put paper dolls or Legos or anything in front of us, we all of a sudden just start making, start creating. Like we have no inhibitions about ourselves. So when we're 25-year-old women or 30-year-old women, like we all of a sudden are very insecure about our creativity and 
I don't know what happens. I actually, after doing this for six years, I have a lot of strong hypotheses um, related to middle school. But <laughs> I um, I realized that this was an issue. Like adult women just don't feel like they're creative people and that needs to change mm. because really creativity is is this sense of like empowerment inside yourself it, that really impacts everything you do. So yeah, it sounds silly to say like, I feel insecure about the scrambled eggs I make in the morning and if they're good or not and if I should like serve them to my friend or not. But um, really like that's in every part of your life, right? Yeah. Um, so well, will, will you hypothesize a bit? Like why, why do you <laughs> yeah. think that is? Um, so honestly, it, it, there's a lot of research that's gone into it. Um, at the time of middle school, actually, um, even in sometimes elementary schools, like when you start to grade students on their artwork, um, as well as when kind of social pressure starts to ramp up right. among adolescents, you start to get teased if you're not good enough. You start to make bad grades on something where you might be just like using expressionism, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of these artistic students um, and artistic people and creative people get, you know, um, scoffed at or criticized for a wild idea and a creative idea and and that begins to sort of snowball and I think especially now with the impact of social media um, it's a double-edged sword because I actually believe that the one biggest trend happening um, right now in social media is the element of personalization and customization like everyone wants something that's their own that's unique that they can share with their friends and brag about um, you're seeing um, manufacturing capabilities change to enable you to actually make a red gingham shirt instead of a blue gingham shirt and maybe put your name in it and yeah. um, all these different things and so it's it's funny because in many ways people are designing and customizing and creating things um, without even knowing it, and that's what they're sharing the most on social media. Um, however, the reason you know people actually get really um, scared to share on social media, especially the teenagers right now in this Gen Z population, because they might not get as many likes as normal, or right. someone might comment and say something negatively, and so they're all making finstas, like fake Instagrams, or they oftentimes put up images, and then if it doesn't get enough likes in a certain amount of time, they'll right. take it down. And so, um, I actually believe that the impact that's having on people's ability to be creative and to be expressive is is getting worse, not better. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anybody who's ever like tried to write anything from scratch or make their own photo essay or whatever the sort of creative endeavor is knows that you hit that moment where you're just like totally vulnerable and totally naked and if you don't it's not good enough I shouldn't share it I shouldn't take a photo of it I shouldn't share it it's not as good as my friend did a couple weeks ago yeah it's terrifying I can imagine Um, and that really evades itself into other elements of your personality I I think as well right yeah and I I guess I really I I relate to even though I'm not somebody who's like putting up lots of my own artistic creations Mm -hmm. on Instagram um, I can imagine though maybe I can't imagine if you're a kid though and you're like waiting for your 80 Instagram likes and you only get 40 it must be just crushing yeah and it's funny too I mean just thinking about Instagram stories like um, some people are really good at designing those and putting like polka dots on them and putting the like little icons in different places and making the text look cool and it's almost I mean even for me it's like oh maybe mine doesn't look as cool as that person and the photo filters you use and everything like it's all about a visual identity now and and the way that you express yourself, and if it's not at a certain level, then you know you're not good enough. And I just yeah. hate that. And yeah. I and I see it happening not just to millennials, but like I said to Gen Z, and it 
it feels like somebody and some brand needs to stand up for that. And yeah. and so Britain Co. It, you know, that's a hard, that's a big lofty of course, you know, goal. But you have to have a big lofty goal, but, right? But that's yeah. yeah. In many ways, we're trying to attack that. And what we found is it just gets into like literally every aspect of lifestyle. Um, all the way into like mental health, all the way into um, empowerment. And and so we're trying to kind of stay in our lane, knowing that, you know, we've been able to branch out into all different kinds of topics over the last six years. Right. Because ultimately you can try and do tutorials and teach people how to do these crafts or do this right. project or, but if... If the confidence, they don't even believe in themselves to start, right? And all actually, all the heady stuff is not there. So you're starting to do content around that type of stuff. Top as well. of the, yeah, I mean, and, and they, again, like most people don't consider themselves creative, and and they might click into a recipe, but they don't believe they can make it, you know. And so we'll start by saying like something pop culture and more mainstream related. Did you know Taylor Swift threw this amazing Fourth of July party? Here's the types of cocktails she served. And although also like here's how you can make this. You know, so it's right. taking something that's kind of like pop culture, mainstream, and then driving people down the funnel into like, oh, that is interesting. Maybe I want to make that. And oh by the way, we have classes. Um if you don't even know the skill at all, like take a cocktail making class, you know, mixology or take whatever. Um and if you need the actual tools and products, you know, we can sell you that kind of stuff too so that's sort of how we think about that funnel and mm-hmm. we think about it in a very online and offline way um tell host, me about the offline way yeah we, we we've since the start literally from the first year we've hosted all kinds of events conferences festivals pop-up events we've even done kind of an, an ambassador network across the country where women are hosting their own events um and we get these women together and we just, well, at the conferences, obviously, we're trying to talk and get kind of like success stories out of these really amazing women. But for the festivals and for the other events, we're really trying to get women to come and touch and see. And um, part of it is about making things themselves and learning how easy it is. It's super fun. It's, you know, decorating a tote bag and, you know, putting their name in gold letters on something. Um, and some of it is about supporting women who are creatives. And that's everyone from, you know, chefs and women who run food trucks um, to women who are artisans, like selling their own jewelry to musicians and performers and and really trying to broaden what it means to think about creativity. Um, Women who code, you know, I think have to be creative just as much as a woman who paints. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This feels like a good place to ask you because you are a CEO in Silicon Valley and there's like there's a lot of tumult around some of these like gender and non-gender issues these days mm-hmm. um, like how are you how are you seeing what's going on are you like is it making you optimistic that people are finally starting to actually talk about this stuff mm-hmm. or is well I'll just tell you from my perspective <laughs> to me there's something really optimistic about the fact that the conversations are happening mm-hmm. on the other hand when you actually hear the content of the conversations, it's like terrifying that this stuff has been going on, right? Totally. I mean, 
I'm I've been lucky that I have I've been in a pretty serious relationship, if not married, the entire time I've been running this company, um, and I've never had those types of issues. I will say that, of course, gender bias, even un- especially unconscious bias, I believe yeah. happens. So there's like the sexual um, predator stuff, and then there's like the gender bias. Um, you know, it's funny. My husband is a venture capitalist and former entrepreneur turned like seed investor. And so I see firsthand what those interactions are like and how, you know, the mindset of a venture capitalist and um, even, you know, the outcome of what these conversations have have had in terms of how they've impacted these VC firms. And it's definitely made it like top of the radar. You know, everyone's thinking about it, talking about it. I think male venture capitalists more now than ever are very sensitive to meetings they're taking with women. However, I actually feel like that can do a lot of damage to women because now, for instance, there are some firms who have a mandate that you can't meet a woman outside of the office. Right. It's like the Mike Pence thing. So like women are missing, women entrepreneurs are missing out on like casually grabbing a drink and talking about the deal, you know, and seeing each other at, I don't know, the Warriors game. And, you know, it's, you know, all these things that men to men, you know, male to male um, conversations. It's chilling. Really. Offer. Yeah. yeah. And it sucks. And it, it also sucks that, like, they have to tiptoe around female entrepreneurs um, so much, too. It's like we can't just have a real conversation. So I'm glad it's happening, but I actually am concerned that it's swinging a little too far in the other yeah. direction right now. Tell me about the makeup of Brit & Co., like uh, gender, yeah, seventy sure. percent yeah. female. I think average age is like thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been we've been diversifying quite a bit lately. Um, half of my direct reports are men. Eighty um, percent of our board are female. Um, so yeah, I mean, very strong female um, employee base, and and in many ways, of course, we have to have that to serve yeah, our audience sure. well. <laughs> um, so. Tell me a bit about like how the company's evolved. Yeah, so um, we'll be six years old at the end of this year, depending on where you start. I guess I bootstrapped it um, for about six months. We um, have grown pretty massively. So we've we started the company thinking about media and content first. We've, we've been in that business, like I said, for about six years. We now reach across our site and key social networks, 130 million uniques um, distributed. Every month, it's a lot of people. We they're mostly women. They're mostly um, millennial. I guess now that's Gen Z and millennial, eighteen to thirty-five. We bleed at the edges in both directions. After launching so much content, we got a lot of our audience who started asking us for the actual skills behind these tutorials and behind all this how-to content we were generating. So we launched a new a business of online classes. We now have about 100 courses online, and they are topics that range from coding to calligraphy to how to start a business. Um, So very diverse sets of classes, all created by young women who are professionals in these topics. Are you sort of a platform then for people? We produce them all in-house, yeah. Um, There's never been actually um, an education platform that's premium content that's been made for young women. I mean, hmm. there's a lot of user-generated platforms right. like Skillshare. Um, there's like Linda. And, you know, yeah. it, so we really thought about this audience and like the things that they want to learn and ran, like things like 
iPad lettering are some of our top courses in the last month, you know, which is, it's just interesting. It's like not something you would find on a mm-hmm. lot of these other education sites. How do you keep up with knowing what to be teaching in if you're... The content, yeah. um, the data that we see in our content. Okay. So in many ways, you know, we have some of the best data out there because we're producing hundreds of pieces of content every day. Right. Um, and we know the the teachers and the audience, you know, that we should be serving. So it's that, that business has been going really well for us. Um, and then in the last six months, we actually launched a new business, uh, which is merchandising. And we had always kind of dabbled with e-commerce. Um, like I said, you know, when we were teaching a calligraphy class online, a lot of people were like, where do I get calligraphy materials? And so we would just sell calligraphy kits. And um, and that actually was a, is a pretty decent business for us. And then we got a lot of interest from mainstream retailers and Target approached us and we decided to launch a big collection with them in the spring and we've ended up launching a couple other collections with them in the last few months and so um yeah now you know we are really starting to learn more about the retail landscape and putting products out into the market as well as putting content out in the market and how the two of them kind of pair well together. So this is stuff that you actually like orig- make originally in that, as opposed mm-hmm. to just like selling stuff of... Correct. Is, right, okay. Yeah. And what it kind of supports, stuff do you sell? Um, so we've done three lines so far. One has been kind of a party and entertaining line, um, plates, cups, all kinds of things. We do a lot of entertaining content at Britain Co. We've done a uh, do-it-yourself kit line. So... Um, the calligraphy kit is an example. Also, things like you know, a, a, you know, how to make a necklace type of kit, how to make you know, a tote bag, um, how to knit a scarf, all of that kind of stuff. We've also done um, a back to school kind of office desk accessory kit, so a bunch of notebooks and planners and all kinds of accessories um, for the workspace or for your school space. Um, and we're working on a lot more stuff that'll be coming out um, in the next year or so. So we're excited about that. How, so, I mean, I think there's been a lot made in the world of like the media business is like mm-hmm. changing every. I mean, it's changed since you walked in here, probably. Right? <laughs> totally. Um, do you? How do you see this part of what you're doing? Are you, is it? Are you, is it a diversification? Is it giving? I mean, do you ultimately see this being? Do you know yet? I guess would be my question. Uh, where where it's going, or is it? I mean, your, obviously, no one knows where it's going. I have thoughts, but in in my very first seed pitch deck to to our primary venture capitalist, I actually outlined this vision from the start. I was I was really inspired when I got started by the Martha Stewart business strategy and the Walt Disney business strategy, um, which was create great content and then sort of branch off of that into other revenue lines, right? And if you do that well and, and if you build kind of the characters well, then, you know, that actually both those businesses can be pretty large scale businesses. And and so it's always been part of the strategy. I don't think one will ever, you know, totally catapult the other. I, I would actually strive to have very balanced revenue streams. I think the fact that the media industry is totally crazy right now is is just like a happening. I didn't even anticipate when I started this company. Yeah. Um, it's like equally awesome and equally challenging. Um, but I think the fact that we have such a diversified business and we've been planning that business for many years um, has put us into a great position of strength because you're noticing that a lot of other digital media publishers are really trying to pivot into merchandising or pivot into events or pivot into 
memberships, um, whereas we've sort of structured the company from the start um, to be who we are now. And actually, we put up a lot of guardrails around the type of content we publish so that our audience, you know, rem- knows what we stand for and knows that if we make a product to sell physically, it's going to stand for um a certain topical area. It's going to stand for creativity, empowerment. It's going to stand for like quality. Um, we've never been, you know, about creating a content farm. You know, we've always wanted to have high right. quality. So um, that's all been, you know, very strategic since the beginning of the business. One of the things that struck me, I was looking at the the value you guys have on your website. You have like the values of Written Co. And mm-hmm. I guess I was going to say one of the things that surprised me, but then once I read it, it wasn't really surprising. But I think you had color. Listed as a value, right? Is that weird to have color as a value? I mean, I guess it's it's not really weird. I think it's really interesting. The thing that struck me about it is your site, and I would just say generally, like all the materials I've ever seen are just like visually stunning, right? It's like it feels like so visually, it's really, really beautiful. Not that uh, non-visually it's not beautiful, but it's really (laughs) visually beautiful. And especially as a challenge because you're dealing with on some level like making things, which there's mm-hmm. often a lot of like rough edges and mm-hmm. things that are unmade don't often look that great. Um, but you've done a great job of like really making it look super, super appealing. And then I saw that the color was a value and I was sort of wondering, is that like, do those things tie yeah. together or is it meaning yeah. something I entirely always, different? I mean, it's, I just imagined um, my childhood when I was starting Britain Co. and that, you know, those moments of creativity and you, you think about crayons and you think about like those art kits you used to get and you think about... Um, I never, you know, I always wanted to use all the colors of paints and everything. And, and that's, it's messy, it's fun, it's colorful, it's playful. And, and we really wanted to, like, foster that vibe into Britain Co. And so color has always been a value of ours. And I think it just lends itself to expression, right? And if I love, you know, these people. I, there's this woman I saw walking down the street, like, a year ago who was probably 90. I'm not joking. I'm surprised she could even walk. And just, like, neon patterns everywhere all over her. Like, everything didn't match at all. And I was just like, I want to be that woman when I'm 90. Like, she didn't (laughs) give a crap about what anyone thinks of her. And she's just rocking her neon patterns. And, like, that's awesome. And that's, like, that is the mentality I want every person to have and every woman to have. And just, like, you do you, you know? Like, do whatever you want and, and rock it. Give me like a little bit of Brit advice. Like how do you get the 100 people on the same train every day going <laughs> the same direction, trying to do the same thing? It's a good question. Um, someone forewarned me in, when I was starting the company that the hardest period of growth is between 50 and 150 employees. And there's a lot of actual like neuroscience that goes into that in terms of how many nodes your brain can comprehend at one time, et cetera, et cetera. But it is. It's certainly been challenging, I think, mostly just from a communication standpoint. You know, I can't literally talk to everybody in the company one-on-one um, as efficiently as I used to. And so the the best thing we've learned how to do is to hire great leaders underneath, underneath me um, who absolutely understand the communication, the message, and then can sort of, you know, regurgitate that to their teams. Um, we've also had to design all kinds of processes, you know, like – um, monthly lunches that are just open form Q&As with me and our, some of our all-hands communications and things like that. Um, it's really all about communication, honestly. Um, I think, you know, the fact that you're growing teams and reorganizing the business, you know, 
is just a nature of like the industry plus growing and that's fine but the hardest challenge is, is just communication and and that's literally you know it's something that I'm trying to focus on every day just getting more clear more clear more clear because you yeah. say one thing to 10 people and all 10 of them might think that interpret that different ways do you feel do you feel like a special responsibility as a company that's trying to empower young women to be more creative and feel more confident about it when these sort of like big polemics around uh, gender in the workplace come up to have like a really proactive stance with your own within your own company on that stuff? Do you feel like you need to like have a voice on it all the time or? Yeah, we, um, we it's funny, like we have self-organized into we have something called the diversity committee um, and actually it randomly stemmed more out of the election than it did any sort of gender or um, ethnic diversity topic that's come up in the last year, which many have come up. Um, but it was the idea that, you know, we should make sure that we are representing all viewpoints, all ages, all sizes, all genders, all uh, political beliefs, you know. And, and so they meet, you know, every month and review all of our content, what we've done great at, what we've not done great at. They review internally, like how we should be talking and treating one another as employees who are diverse in all different ways. And so that's been amazing. Um, and I think every company should have like a diversity committee of some sort. And then separately, just like preaching to the choir um, and eating our own dog food or whatever mantra you want to follow, like creativity has always been the heart and soul and the core of Britain Co. And so we actually give all of our employees a day off once a quarter and we call it creativity day and they get $50 each. They can't come to the office. They have to actually go learn or do something creative um, with their day. On the same day? On the, all on the same day. And the only rule is you have to report back at 4 p.m. and sort of show and tell the thing that you did and the thing you made. And so it gets our it cool. gets ourselves into this vulnerable position of like, I took this like water painting class and I thought I was going to be good it, but it turned out like this. I'm not sure about it. And, and But like, it's okay. We're all in this together, you know? And, and I think it's little things like that that really encourage everybody to, to get vulnerable with one another, but also to like sort of really practice what we preach. Britt Morin, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you uh, coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Britt Morin for sitting down and chatting with us. If you want to learn more about Britt & Co., head over to their website, Britt, B-R-I-T dot co and maybe dive into their e-classes on everything from illustration to starting a business. Our producer is Sebastian Aday. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is a bag of terror chips on an overnight flight. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.